On this episode, we'll kick off with Theology Corner, and we'll discuss our general thoughts about atheism and agnosticism. Before diving into the topic for this episode, Brain Man, a film featuring Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Finally, Anon will introduce the topic for next episode, Bill Bryson's Shakespeare, The World as a Stage. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today, we definitely got the rose bushes. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Of course, of course, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a really bad impersonation. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good try, though. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home. My heart, my heart was in the right place. Yeah, it, it really was. Yeah, sorry, finish, Thank finish you, introduction. Thank you, listeners yeah. at home, for taking yes, part but, in our noble so, quest. Will you shut up? <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how many times I wondered about what's the term uh, Rain Man referring to. How, how many times I heard about that movie. You know, based on my very limited knowledge about it, I, I tried to understand why is the guy called Rain Man. And well, now I know. Today, we're discussing the 1988 movie Rain Man. But before that, we have some very high and mighty things to discuss in a new, perhaps short-lived segment called The Theology Corner, a.k.a. We don't want to offend anyone, but we still want to talk about this. Theology Corner. (laughs) I'm going to use that. Theology Theology Corner. Corner. So, uh... None of us are very religious people. And so the question on the table today is uh, the difference between atheism and agnosticism. And where do we place ourselves on that scale? Peter, you brought up this topic in the first place. So enlighten us. There's basically kind of a fine line between agnosticism and atheism. How would you describe the the differences between those two definitions? Um, I wouldn't say there's a fine line, but since you put it out there, uh, I mean... So agnosticism is, if you're unfamiliar with the word, it's, it's basically having no opinion on, on something. Or like to be agnostic is just to not, it's not necessarily to be impartial, but it's, it's more to not lean one way or another. And it may be because you, you haven't done any like research or it could be um, the opposite. It might be because you've looked at both sides, they both seem kind of compelling or reasonable and you sort of couldn't tell the difference between them you just would say you're agnostic towards them yeah it's basically saying i don't know like gnostic yeah. i think is the from greek of knowing so agnostic not knowing yeah however if like there's definitely more people that identify as agnostic atheists than agnostic religious people because i'll go through what atheist is really is Atheist is just like atheist in terms of like theism being you um, subscribe to a religion and atheism means you don't subscribe to any religion, right? So you could, in the Venn diagram of those two things, you could be in that little bit in the middle, right? Uh, you could, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Depending on how you look at it, like that overlap is pretty big because if you don't know one way or another whether a religion or like whether you would be in a religion or not, then you're probably not in a religion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah. Uh, But I I guess like agnostic sort of have a stronger term where like you could say you're agnostic and not an atheist because 
an atheist would say is more of a rejection of, you know, religion. Whereas agnosticism is again not an opinion on it at all. Yeah. In fact, like I think I'm agnostic on most topics in the world because <laughs> it's just yeah. easiest to be it, agnostic. Uh, makes sense. Um, but that's why I, I that's why I'm kind of thinking uh, that there's a fine line between the two terms because if you're agnostic, you're probably leaning more towards atheism than yeah being yeah. religious. Th- there's a relationship there. There's a connection there. So, but, but yeah, those are definitely two different things. The only way I could see you being agnostic, but also being religious is maybe if you're just referring to like, whether you're maybe agnostic towards the truth of religion, but you still do the practices. Mm. Like I know a lot in, in modern day, like I know a lot of Jews sort of do the, do the practices, you know, but like if you, if you would ask them, you know, do you believe then they would just say literally no, but, you know, yeah. we, we still do it's this kind of a tradition So you could almost call them a religious agnostic, but... Or maybe maybe a religious agnostic is someone who would say, I think there's a God, but I don't know. Yeah, like a Pascal's wager almost, yeah. Do we want to describe where we sit on this spectrum? So I guess, um, like, I definitely started agnostic because... Yeah, you know, it's a hard question and it's hard to commit to any other. Like, I guess it depends whether you believe in, in kind of like a religious God or the the God of the universe, which is a bit more ambivalent to the rituals that you do or don't do. Yeah, I think any any spiritual kind of higher power is falls under that category. Yeah. Uh, I so think it's all the same. I think that I never believed a, a religious God. I don't know. For me, it doesn't make sense. Like, like if there is a higher, a higher power, that it will be that interested with what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. So, I it was always like whether there's a higher, you know, God of the universe or the universe itself, or if there isn't. And I was on that fence for for a while. Then I read uh, the God Delusion of uh, Richard Dawkins, and I think that a lot of the arguments there were aggressive and in a way also a bit one-sided, but it did motivate me to think about, like I felt that I was staying on the fence because like it was more comfortable, not because, not because I really believed it. So after reading that, I decided, well, I want to take a stand. And obviously if I want to take a stand, I'm probably leaning more towards atheism. I think for the past five years six years i think i kind of define myself as an atheist and and i like that it's freeing in in a way that's also the thing about labels right it sounds a bit stupid but once you commit to a label it affects a bit the way that you interact with yourself and with the environment it does yeah so like i I found myself in theological arguments taking more the atheist sides and yeah so that was that was kind of my journey i i gotta say that personally i enjoyed this transition of the agnostic fence to a side, uh, but I completely understand. Like, I think being agnostic make make really sense for a lot of people. Yeah, and I kind of went the other way. Like, I used to think of myself as an atheist, but today I lean more towards uh, agnostic, but not because, like, I'm opening my mind towards religion or, or anything at all. It's just because I just don't think that there's anything to discuss here. I don't think that there's no way to know about God. There's no way to know if there's a higher power that's affecting us. And until there's anything to discuss, there's uh, I don't want to 
even kind of uh, define myself. You know, like I, I, in a way, I think that identifying as an atheist is obviously depending on the person, almost as good as saying, I know the answer, there is no God. And if you have any other opinion, then you're wrong. And I'm, I'm talking about the, the more combative, the more extreme atheists, obviously. And I don't, I feel that def- identifying as agnostic, again, depending on the person, is as good as saying, I don't know for sure, I don't think anyone can know, and I don't think we'll ever know, so why even discuss this? And I'm more comfortable with this position, although I do identify a lot with what you've said, Barrio, so I don't know, I definitely lean towards the non-religious end of the scale, but I don't, I don't feel like I want to put a lot of time into that, you know, I just don't connect with that too much. I don't know, I kind of want to say that, you know, I know where I stand and I know what I believe in and I'm confident about it, so I don't have to prove that everyone else is wrong. But honestly, it's just that the whole subject isn't really a part of my personality. I don't think about it all too much. It's kind of funny, but I, I think that I define myself as an agnostic atheist. <laughs> I don't believe in a God, but I don't really think there's any way of knowing what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a hard question, obviously, because it, like, it's one of those questions where you don't have enough information to like give a estimate, if you get what I mean. Because like, yeah. yeah. obviously, it's one of like the biggest questions out there. You know, We don't know how we would measure or like, counterbalance the evidence because they're almost different in form. But I would say on the scale from like, pure agnostic to diehard atheist, I would say like I'm... Pr- I'm definitely closer to the atheist side but just a few notches back so like if i said i was like a pure agnostic it would it would seem to imply that i'm neither more leaning towards atheism or or theism right but i would say i'm definitely leaning more towards atheism because just looking at the arguments i find that the areas where religion could possibly exist are sort of say for instance before we saw inside the atom right once we break the atom open then potentially you know god might reach reach down and be like good job guys you know here's the playbook but as soon as we do that and as soon as we like understand quantum physics and i feel like we're getting closer and closer to understanding the universe with science so to say that like i'm purely agnostic would just be um, not correct. But I will also say there's definitely a trace of agnosticism there because if there was like a God or something like that and they were legitimately good at, you know, deceiving us and stuff like that, then obviously (laughs) that's a possibility. It's just, again, we don't really have like this enough information to completely get that. It's just, it's kind of like if you're watching a movie where, the director doesn't leave you clues as to a twist. Like some directors will, some directors won't. But some directors will, like even if you watch it back, you won't be able to get the twist because they haven't foreshadowed it. I feel like we're going through the movie without any foreshadowing for there being a God. We're just seeing the evidence against it. And if there's a turn in the movie, like page 185, there's a twist, which there was no foreshadowing for and turns out there is a god then i'll just uh, you know i'm happy to eat my words because that's like yeah it yeah. it it wouldn't really say anything positive about leaning towards that because it would have been a guess anyway yeah whereas i'm just gonna, gonna follow the evidence we have 
and the little evidence we have is is pointing the other way in my opinion but yeah and i'm sure it, like it could definitely change over time but um the the thing that sort of gets me about the religion is like the more specific your god is the less compelling it is to me like cuz you talk about like how big the universe is and how specific the laws are about sort of um eye for an eye and all this like caste system in india and all this stuff it 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 feels like the if there was some sort of divine commandments they would be much more physics based or something like that like almost like mathematical or um or if they were ethical they would just be so much more elegant than perhaps uh, what we've seen in some of the other texts but um i think one of the things that always sort of um gets me about the atheism though is like the because before the big bang where we can't really predict what was going on like it doesn't shake my atheism it's just it does feel like an area a, a weakness almost you know hmm. so yeah i have a question for you yeah imagine that there was suddenly proof that god exists what hmm. what will change with your life uh like a classic god like a omnipotent god like as you imagine it or uh, something specific you just know that there's a god you don't know anything about it but you know that there's kind of like a sentient origin to the universe so we don't really know what god or like how to worship it exactly. or what it wants just that yeah. there is a god again in that situation there's not much you can do i don't think um, yeah i don't think a lot would change Uh, with that amount of information it it seems if, like if i if we knew that would be awesome though because then we would know there's something to look for it's like if you're digging a hole and someone says well there is treasure at the bottom then it means you yeah. just dig a bit harder you know what i mean but it doesn't tell you what's in the box that's the only thing if if there's something buried you're not going to know what's buried but it would be you would definitely like continue the scientific endeavor until you knew it and with that amount of inf- information are you just best off keeping doing whatever you're doing yeah i wonder what will happen if like you got a definite proof for the the other way around like a definitive proof that god doesn't exist like obviously everyone like belief is not something rational so it shouldn't really affect that oh it could be yeah, it definitely true. could be rational you think, you think so yeah I, i i think it's like it's so abstract like believing that there is a god and there isn't a god i, I just think rational does doesn't even cover that area I think like if you look at like evidence and stuff like that I guess you could say maybe atheism could be a more rational position but I don't know it's just like if you think about what rationality is like well what is rationality right it it's sort of um geez what is rationality <laughs> the quality of being based on or in accordance with reason or logic oh, wow. which I would say is basically the the opposite of belief. Maybe faith could be the opposite. Well, because like for instance, I believe 2 plus 2 equals 4, and that's rational and it's a belief, right? But I feel like many people would have reasons for believing that God exists and I don't necessarily think that's irrational. Like maybe their reasons are fallible, but I don't know. It's like um because I I would say a lot of people say, "Well, I believe God exists because, you know, makes my life better or something like that." And that doesn't seem irrational. That seems completely rational to 
way. I have to think about this some more. But when it comes to stuff like that, to, to religion, to stuff that actually changes how you live your life, it doesn't seem rational to me. Yeah, mm. I agree. Rationality is overrated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> like believing in a God, believing that there's something bigger than us, that's, I, I can totally see that because everyone comes to, to, to those conclusions from a totally different uh, I think direction. I could be wrong about this, but I think there's a term, sort of like a semi-technical term, but I think it's non-rational. So it can't be justified by logic but it's not necessarily irrational. Yeah. I think it's just a non-rational. I think belief is kind of the, the, the opposite. It, it contradicts rationality in a way. Yeah, you almost don't need belief if if you can um, have logic. Exactly. You know, Once it's a fact, you don't you have, have to believe in it. If you have the it. logic behind it, then you don't need the extra support of well, a belief. That's kind of how know? I feel about it, yeah. Like, once it's true, once it's a fact, there's no reason to believe in it. Like, it's just that. Yeah, yeah like... I guess it's a little bit of like a linguistic kind of thing, yeah. but like if yeah. you saw someone boiling the kettle and then someone asks, hey, is the kettle boiling? You say- I believe like, so. Oh, <laughs> I, believe, I believe I saw this person come in, but you just saw them. You, It would be a, yeah, I guess belief would make you seem less certain than you, if you just said, yes. <laughs> if we could do some sort of census on- if people be- like believe in religion and then you can just, they can tick a box to say what religion, right? And then we went to these, like went to their houses with like a, like a r- roulette board or something like that. <laughs> and they had to stake down like a money claim on, I'm, I'm making it way too complicated, but like, <laughs> do you think people's beliefs in, in religion or non-belief, do you think they would correspond perfectly to like basically like a betting system, like people like betting money on the outcome. Because like I, I always find when I reframe things in a betting circumstance, it actually clears it up. Like if someone's like saying, oh, is this person, person guilty or not? And I know obviously with criminal law and stuff, you have um, beyond reasonable doubt. But if I just say like, oh, look, he could have been, could have not been, you know, Who's to say? And then they say, well, would you put $100 on it? And you would say, absolutely, <laughs> like, because I would want to win money on that. <laughs> like, it kind of, it, it clears it up almost. It's it's a weird sort of mind trick for me, but I find it, it's something about money that, you know, really clears the fog for me. But I wonder if someone who was potentially not a devoted religious advocate or um, religious person, perhaps they were a little bit religious, right? You wonder if if you gave them okay odds on their religion being true. You wonder <laughs> if that would, if they're sort of like not half-hearted, but like they're not the strongest religious person, but they still are religious. You wonder if they would bet less than like a priest, but they would bet much more than like obviously an atheist. You know, oh, that, you, I wonder person. if that would sort of align. Well, I'm just assuming someone who's so invested in it would. They would almost think it, if you devote your life around, you would bet almost any money amount of money because you know it's true in in some sense. But so. if you're like a believer, but not a very religious person, you're just a believer, then maybe you'd bet like twenty dollars. Yeah. yeah, like <laughs> potentially you say, oh, "I'm not sure," but like you think it's more than likely. You know, it it's interesting when we get into percentages. Like for instance, if it was like a seventy percent chance that the Christian God was real. 
like, would you start praying and stuff like that? Because there's 30% chance you're wasting your time. Yeah. But 70% chance it's like the human mind is like almost not designed uh, for like probabilities. Yeah. But let's say that there's like a 70% chance that there is a God and I haven't been praying up till now. Then I'd think then I'm good. Like nothing, nothing bad happened to me until like, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I'm taking the 30%. But it's still 30%. It's still not likely. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, maybe there is a God, but he's, uh, but he's cool with me. <laughs> you were doomed to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, um, there was like a poll in, um, in, uh, Australia or something. And there, I think some, some candidate had like a 28% chance of winning as per like, sort of like the pre, you know, date polls and stuff like that. And then someone on the on the news coverage asked, "So what? What does that say about his chances of 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 winning?" <laughs> and like, what more could you add to twenty eight percent? You know, like you can't really. You could say it's close to thirty percent, but you know, like I'm I'm assuming putting more decimals on the end isn't really going to clarify it. You know, no, but it, it's funny something about the human mind and and percentages is i'm not sure why it is but yeah we're just not wired to think that way yeah yeah, yeah. anyway 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 someone who maybe is wired <laughs> to think yeah. that way is rain man okay so um rain man rain man is a 1988 film uh good year for films starring tom cruise and dustin hoffman and runs just a little longer than two hours, and it's directed by Barry Levinson. I looked up Barry Levinson. He hasn't done a lot of stuff recently, but he definitely has some hits in the 80s and 90s. The film starts with an introduction to Charlie Babbitt's car importing business operating in the grey market. He uh, manages impatient buyers um, who have made down payments, creditors who are threatening his line of credit, and the EPA, which I Environmental Protection Agency, yeah. who are holding the cars due to failing emissions tests. Charlie is definitely at this point in financial hardship. And then when Charlie's father dies, who he's been estranged with since a young age, Charlie and his girlfriend Susanna travel to Ohio to find out what, if anything, will fall to him in the in the will. Whilst he receives a 1949 Buick Roadmaster, which him and his dad fought over when he was young, the $3 million of his estate goes to an unnamed trustee. Through sheer serendipity, Charlie meets his heretofore unknown brother Raymond, or Rain Man, Babbitt, who he's autistic, albeit high-functioning, and discovering him, he finds out he is also the beneficiary of the estate. So Charlie sets out to swindle the money, essentially, <laughs> um, to his side of the fence, yep. <laughs> and um, and they set out on sort of like a cross-country brotherly road trip. Um, managing Raymond's routines, including his bedtimes, maple syrup kinks, and <laughs> interstate flight bans, um, Charlie and Raymond end up bonding, and uh, Charlie discovers an unfortunate childhood memory places Raymond in a favorable light. After the creditors eventually seized the cars he was planning to sell, um, Charlie and Raymond set out to the casino, as you do, to count <laughs> some cards. They played blackjack and they managed to make over the $80,000 that was required to get the cars back. 
and they eventually return to Los Angeles. And Charlie uh, makes a play with Raymond's carer, Dr. Brunner. Um, Dr. Brunner? Brunner. Brunner. And um, he says that he cares for Raymond now and he doesn't, he doesn't want to accept any money in exchange for essentially letting him return. He wants full custody of him. Um, however, um, when they actually ask Raymond, you know, who would you like to reside with? He, he isn't really capable of a full kind of response. Um, after the interview, Charlie's seen dropping Raymond off at the train. Uh, that's going back to the mental institution and he tells him that he'll visit him in two weeks. So let's go over what we thought of the movie. So while I was watching the movie, I felt like I wasn't really connecting with it. Like it's it's a very it's a big movie. I've heard about it so many times. I I don't know. I I mm. I don't really like Tom Cruise. I thought that most of the characters were oh. okay. You don't like him either. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, I love Tom Cruise. You love I love him. angry Tom Cruise as really? well. Really, you know the scene where he just yells in the desert. Oh, <laughs> I can't stand his face. Uh, <laughs> I thought that most of the characters were okay, not amazing. I thought that the way the characters reacted to meeting an autistic person was a bit outdated. I guess that people were more were like less aware of that stuff back then. And the soundtrack was really 80s, which I thought was funny, mm. not necessarily in a positive way. <laughs> Although I have to say that the, the second time I watched that movie, the, I watched it yesterday again, and the movie kind of ended and it went to credits. And that's theme with kind of pan flutes oh, was playing yeah. in the background and uh at first i didn't like it but after a while it really got it really got me really? like uh it it works it's it's interesting i don't like the sound i don't like the the synthetic drums i don't like anything about how it sounds i don't like the style but it has emotions it has a feel to it so there's something there you know but oh maybe because i thought this was going to be like a deep and meaningful movie kind of like I, I was expecting it to be along the lines of Forrest Gump and maybe because uh, I heard about the movie so many times throughout my life I thought it was going to be like an instant classic for me maybe an instant Quag member but it didn't do it for me but the thing is that near the end of the movie when Charlie's character arc was was kind of completed and he changed to to you know want what was best for Raymond and Raymond was getting on the train and going back to Walbrook the, the institution he was living in I suddenly noticed that I was surprisingly emotional about it like I was really happy that Raymond is going to be safe and happy and that he got to connect with Charlie and you know and that Charlie wanted to come and visit and everything it made me feel really warm inside I like based on my watching experience with the rest of the movie I didn't expect to feel that good and yeah, I also liked how, in the end, Charlie and Raymond, you know, they, they kind of joke around and laugh together more than they did in the beginning of the movie and beginning of their journey. And how Ray mentions how funny Who's on First Catch is and mentions their trip to Vegas. He says, uh, one for bad, two for good, <laughs> just before leaving. And obviously, how Ray calls his brother my main man near the end, it shows that while Ray may outwardly seem unmoved by the whole adventure, something did trickle in. And I think that he does appreciate what he's gone through. And I think he's happy to have Charlie in his life. And I love that. So like, I don't know, in my perfect world, that movie would have been made in a different decade, uh, a decade with better sounding music and, and better looking <laughs> clothes. And Tom Cruise wasn't in it. 
But other than that, I do think that it's a very interesting, very touching movie. I, I love the, the story. I love Raymond's character. I really didn't like Charlie's character, but I was happy for him in the end. I don't know. Barrio, what do you think? Smooth transition. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Um, it was nice. It was nice. Uh, I got to say that I also um, had, had a similar experience. I, I had really high hopes I really didn't like the music. That was one of the things that bothered me most. The, all the pan flutes. Yeah, pan flutes. Why, Why pan, pan flutes? flutes? <laughs> it just didn't, it didn't add up. No, no not at all. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that didn't really add up to me is um, I really like Dustin Hoffman, right? And that role was weird. Really? Like, you know, it's tough. It's, it's, it's impossible. You, you, it's either you're going too far with it or you're not going far enough with it just feels a bit forced i think and i'll join in on with this one i just hate tom cruise <laughs> I, I actually you know comparing to current day tom cruise where he looks i don't know he actually somehow got less cocky than how he looked when he was young i think that's why he's probably a, a, a really good cast for this yeah that's true um, that's true for this role by the way i i i noticed maybe noticed as well that his face expressions kind of got softer towards the end of the film. Hmm. And that was kind of like a, a good transition because he's so annoying. And then he became slightly less annoying. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that, and that kind of helped with, uh, with realizing uh, the, the transition that, that they went through. I didn't really understand their relationship with uh, what's-her-face. Susanna. Susanna. That was, <laughs> that was a bit weird. She's going. She's she's coming back. The weird elevator scene. What? Yeah, I don't understand why she put up with his shit for so long. I that's what I thought. She should have left him a, a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, but then she came back. I thought she left for good. I I also thought it was kind of weird that she came back. Yeah. So all in all, I I think I like I understand it's a classic, and I also understood a lot of like part of watching a classic is realizing how many references you saw to it in, in other pieces. So that was yeah, fun. A bit with the toothpicks. <laughs> I, I, I I get it now. <laughs> where, where is it from? There's another place that... I don't uh, remember, but when I saw him like counting toothpicks on the floor, I was like, oh, uh, now I know. <laughs> I don't know where it was referenced, but it must have been referenced at least in a few places. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, like, I'm not... It's probably not the first road trip movie... The concept of having a road trip where you go through these life-changing yeah. experiences. But I think, if I had to guess, I think that uh, at the time when this was in cinemas, it, it was relatively fresher. You think? Uh, the, the, we've done another road trip movie on the podcast, the, the Muppet one. And it was like 10 years before this one? Yeah. But yeah. I think the the Muppet Road Trip is uh, not as it's it's different um, because it's life changing. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're collecting friends. I love road trip movies. Yeah, it's fun. There were a lot of things that didn't really add up, but I I blame it on the time. But I, but I don't know. Like I'm I'm giving it uh, the benefit of the doubt that that maybe like uh, when did it come come out? 1988. 88. 88. Yeah. Uh, so maybe then it was fresher. Yeah. Um, but, but Peter, what do I... you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I probably have come out a little bit more positive than both of you, but 
I think it might have something to do with liking Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, I just that helps. Man, that's a big part. <laughs> He's got like a sort of like an intensity about him, like a rhythm, almost like you know how Jeff Goldblum has that rhythm about him. Yeah. Like he sort of is a little bit cliched almost at this point. He's just always buzzing. I find like Tom Cruise is always buzzing like that. He is, and um, I don't know. It's just something, maybe not charming, but something entertaining about it especially when he's frustrated because when he gets frustrated, that's how I feel when I get frustrated, you know, like you're just like shaking uncontrollably, like you yell. It's just anything you can do to like relieve some of that tension and he's doing it all. It's great. But yeah, like at, at the start, I was a little bit, not nervous, but maybe um, apprehensive about how it's going to go because I was like, oh, Tom Cruise swindling a <laughs> autistic guy for money. Like this could be like a really dark sort of movie, you know, but I don't know. Like, I guess the attempt to get the money wasn't very direct. Like, I guess they were just trying to bond or something like that. So it did seem a little bit directionless towards the middle, but I did, I did like it at the end when he refused the money and they they bonded a little bit more. It just it didn't feel like it had much of like a meaning to it. That's the only problem I really had. Like I, I do enjoy what happened, but I feel like a movie should kind of like highlight a little bit more of like or foreshadow a little bit more of like what the purpose of the movie was. You think that they should have mentioned the the bit with the money, the the fact that he needed the money some more in the middle of the movie? Or potentially like what I would have had is more of a, like a plot line of Susanna saying, like, like, is it really more important for you to have the money than to, like, establish a connection with your brother? And he yeah. goes, like, you know what? Like, it doesn't matter about that. I just need the money. And then potentially he has more of, like, a decision to make about, like, you know, maybe in the casino or something like that, there was a way where it's like, oh, you can keep the money, but your brother stays with us. And then... He, I know this is done all the time, but like where he goes and goes, yeah, you keep him. And then he comes back, changes his mind. But there was never anything like that. It was the only time really he had that decision forced upon him was really when he said, take the 250,000 and then essentially fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, like it, that was the one thing that annoyed me a little bit, but I enjoyed the acting. I thought Dustin Hoffman did a great job. I kind of... I imagine it'd be very difficult to play an autistic person. Like, it's not natural, you know, it, whereas Tom Cruise is essentially playing himself at some point. So, <laughs> so yeah, I commend him for the performance because even an even a so-so performance, or maybe not a so-so, maybe a sort of a par for the course performance of someone with like a disability yeah. takes a lot of effort. So Oof. I think. Yeah, I, I think it's there's so many ways it can go wrong and not many ways it can go right. So the fact that it's not like we don't put it in like a top 10 list of like worst acting performances ever is is probably good, you know. <laughs> but yeah, like in terms of the music, I thought I wasn't a fan, but I didn't expect the music to be too good anyway. Yeah. So um, <laughs> again, not super disappointed about that. And, um, in general, I thought the shots were okay, but it's not a beautiful movie or anything like that. It, it sort of just gets the job done, but 
there are some nice scenes. I thought the one in the elevator was actually a pretty good scene. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was nice because it felt like Susanna really cared about him, whereas, you know, she really had no obligation to. But I thought I thought it was okay. Didn't you think that the kiss was a bit too much? Um, oh, No, not really. I kind of feel like because that could be maybe the only time he has that sort of connection with someone else like that. And I, I don't know, like, I, I think she was just trying to give him an experience. That's you know, what like, I thought. Because he's not experiencing an like others so potentially it's less like um she does it and then he just goes computer says no and then <laughs> you know no, nothing happens of it like he forgets it and it's just straight back to who's on first base but how is there no first base second base joke ah. about that anyway <laughs> that's, a um, good, that's a good question but, <laughs> but i think she was just like let's just give it everything and maybe he'll like appreciate it you know because it's kind of hard to tell what he appreciates you know like yeah. he might have really liked it so it's kind of hard to know i think the fact that he mentions the kiss later in that like kind of a hearing near yeah. the end of the movie it shows that it did live in an impression on him <laughs> yeah i think that's one of the things that what i was thinking of pretty much throughout the movie is just like it's so difficult to gauge usually with a person when you do something the obvious The effects on that person are obvious, you know, they either like smile or they're sad, but with, with Rain Man, it was, you really don't know. You have to really study him to know. And even if he says he doesn't like it, you know, well, actually when he doesn't like something, it becomes quite obvious because it's quite distressing. And those scenes are actually quite distressing, yeah. but it's hard to know when he likes something. It's difficult to know if he enjoys watching the TV and going to bed at 11, like it seems like it's almost like avoiding catastrophe rather than like act actively doing hmm. things he likes. Yeah, that's a good but point. Again, it's hard to know like subjectively. We always use this word, but or I always use this word, but it's, it's hard to know what like his qualia would be. Yeah. Like, is he actually experiencing joy when he watches the TV? Like it's hard to know. Yeah, I totally Because agree. Because essentially robots always tell you, oh, you got to update and stuff like that. <laughs> is it bad that I went straight to robot? But anyway, <laughs> like all these programs are like, you know, you got to update. And then when you update them, they're like, oh, yes, good. Ah, update done. You know? <laughs> But it doesn't like, you know, the computer like just needed the update for like technical reasons. <laughs> like they're not just like, oh yeah, another update. <laughs> like, <laughs> how bad is this analogy? <laughs> anyway, um, Yeah, it's hard to know, like, if he feels, like, positive emotion when things go right or if going right is just important for his systems, you know? Yeah, it seems like just to be, like, a relief. It's not like, oh, yeah, this mm. is good. It's just, oh, we've avoided something awful. Like, whenever he says, yeah, what's it called, judge something and the people's court is on in, like, 11 minutes, it's not like, I want to see it. It's like warning it's in like 11 minutes and something bad like we have to yeah. avoid something bad but yeah i don't know yeah. it's uh it's just a different person with a different set of needs so it's kind of hard to say i don't know if you'd agree with me we don't you know <laughs> i think that out of all the movies that we've watched on the podcast excluding maybe rebel without a cause this movie aged the most it, 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 this is mostly due i'm i'm guessing to society's perception of autism at the time because like when charlie finds out that he has an autistic brother he's talking with dr brunner and he says something along the lines of 
So what? He's an idiot? And the doctor says, no, he's, he's an autistic savant. And Charlie says, whoa, 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 what's with all the medical lingo, doc? Give it to me in English. Uh, obviously, obviously, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It's, it's as if he's never even heard of autism, which might have been the case in the late 80s. Yeah. I don't actually know. But, like, today, there, there's no way for, for a conversation to go down that way. Yeah. And, I mean... This might have actually been the strength of this movie, you know? Maybe, maybe it was an eye-opener for people at the time. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. There's also the scene where uh, they're going to a hospital. Yeah, they're going to see a doctor in this, like, small town. Yeah, and, and he's telling to the nurse that he's autistic, and she said, okay, but what's wrong with him? Yeah. She's, she's, she doesn't understand exactly what it is. So, yeah, that's, that's a good point. And imagine that in 1988, like, a lot of people still didn't know what autism is, is like. And it's weird because it's not that rare. No, it's, it really isn't that rare. And I don't know, for like the most part of their journey... His type of autism is quite rare. Oh, yeah, but maybe. In yeah. Autism in general is like, it's almost the majority. Yeah, al- almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, At least on not. this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say it's a spectrum. So, essentially, it's not yeah. if you have autism, it's how autistic are you. Yeah. 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 Uh, for, for the most part of their journey... Charlie's like acting as if he can just ignore Raymond's needs or yell at him until he gets over them or something. Like he acts as if no one's ever tried that approach. And <laughs> I don't, know, don't get me wrong. I think that the story of the movies is touching, but I do think that it's aged and it, it won't work as well today. Mm. I also don't think that you can make that movie today. I don't know. I think that Charlie's character, like in regards to how he sees autism basically doesn't exist today or at least it's kind of an edge case and not the norm i Mm. I think obviously you know the movie is kind of with the zeitgeist of the 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 spirit of the time that it went out where people didn't know it but i do think you you wouldn't do it but if they produced it today i think there's a there is a way to make it like more relatable to to they'd have to change a few key points yeah in one of the tv stations here in israel we have a there's a show and they bring uh, different groups of people and they sit in front of a camera, sometimes alone, sometimes like two at a time. And they get cards with questions that people sent to the to the system regarding that type of, of people. So like you had obese people, you had the people with uh, disabilities. And, and there was also one time where you had people with different places in the spectrum of autism. And... I got to say, that was an eye-opener for me because, you know, obviously there was like this one guy who was there with uh, his mother, I think, and he he can't talk. You know, he makes sounds, but he's, he's not connected to his surrounding and he, he types what he wants to say and his mother reads it. And that's kind of like one side of this, you know, that's, it's, it's pretty severe. And I, I guess there's more severe cases that just couldn't attend uh, that kind yeah. of show. But on the other side, there were a couple of people, uh, young people, that looked pretty normal, like introverts and maybe not as social or maybe, I don't know, maybe less intelligent, more intelligent. But like there was something a bit off, but not, I, I don't know, me, I, I, would, I would never think that they, they were on the spectrum. And they're telling that they always felt different. They always felt that they're in a place that they can't really fully understand their surrounding or fully be able to understand what people trying to communicate with them. And when they actually went and, and got the diagnosis that they, they're on the spectrum, 
they were actually relieved giving uh, your situation a name, demystifying it and making it something that, that you can face head on. It helped them to not, not be so hard on themselves. Like they understand they had a situation and that makes it harder for them. It's kind of like how uh, someone who's short, like imagine that you keep trying to reach for a shelf that you're, you don't know that you can't reach. Yeah, I guess that's kind mm-hmm. of what Charlie went through with Raymond. Like once he understood that he can't change Raymond, he can't fulfill all of his needs, he could just let go. Yeah, exactly. You're right. I didn't think about it. Like that's, that's where he can start accepting it and, and stop being mad at him. Exactly. Just to bring in another sort of like external piece that potentially, um, you know, sheds light on sort of the public perception of like autism and stuff. I might have mentioned it before, potentially not, but this is great book by Oliver Sacks, who's um, it's written quite a, a lot of books about sort of certain neurological disorders. And this one is, I think his most famous, which is called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a, for a hat. hat. Yeah, I read that. I haven't read it, but it's supposed to be really good. It is really good. And I think from memory they have the, um, I've read a few of his books, so I might get it mixed up, but I'm pretty sure it's this one where um, they have a twins who, they're, they're autistic and they can do sort of the matchbox thing. So if you drop Skittles on the floor, they'll tell you how many they are yeah. and stuff like that. So their processing is obviously a bit different. And then they play games where they multiply like prime numbers in like the five, <laughs> six, seven digits. Oof. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. But that came out in 1985. And I don't know, like, obviously it's not like Sapiens nowadays in 2020 where every man and his dog has this book. But <laughs> like, it's a pretty popular book now. So I'd assume if he was breaking it in 1985, 1986, like when the movie came out, you'd assume like it would have been shortly after that the um, studies of sort of um, autism and these related disorders would have probably been a little bit faster. You know what I mean? Like you would feel like 90s and 2000s would have had like a lot of the progress being made in those, in that, in that time. But yeah, like definitely in that, in the tone that the book sets out is that he assumes that people know what autism is, but he doesn't assume people know exactly what it entails. Like people know the name, but they don't know exactly know um, what it is. And uh, partly the reason is because all these neurologists don't know what it is either. Like at that point, it's really confusing. Now they've sort of narrowed it down, but obviously it's part genetic, but they can't tell you exactly what genes are involved. They can tell you, like, narrow it down to 100 genes, but it's not one gene that's on or off no, that's yeah. going to change these things. It's it's almost like intelligence. It's just, it's too broad. I'm not sure I understood the backstory that they were trying to tell completely. About Raymond, why he... Is this the one about the bath? Yeah. Yeah, that one I didn't completely understand I... either. Same here. I also have a note here. I wanted to bring this up because... Here, here's what I got from it. Like, what, what was his name? I think it was Sanford. Sanford Babbitt was their father's name. And he mm-hmm. was married to Eleanor Babbitt. They had a kid, uh, Raymond, who had uh, special needs. Uh, and he had a, a brother, Charlie, who's Tom Cruise. And as far as I know, when Charlie was two, his mom passed away. And his father at some point thought that uh, Raymond put Charlie in danger with uh, like boiling water in a bathtub. And he thought, as far as I got it, 
I can't deal with both a baby and an autistic kid. So even though he was a teenager and a high-functioning autistic person, so he just uh, sent him to Walbrook. So he'll have like a more comfortable, safer life for both of his kids. I'm not sure if it's exactly what they meant because it wasn't I totally think that's clear. More that, that or makes less. sense. And Sanford definitely was like a good, loving father to Raymond. He kept sending him books and presents. He kept visiting him. Yeah. And also, what was the deal with the car that he let Raymond drive and not Charlie? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Maybe Charlie was just too young because the, the whole thing with the car that kind of destroyed their relationship took place when Charlie was 16, I think. So maybe too, too young mm. to drive anyway or just on the verge? Okay, I have a theory. Maybe after hospitalizing Raymond, Sanford's only way connecting and, and being with his son without feeling guilty is to come with the car and take him for a slow, uh, safe drive around. But then no, it doesn't explain why when Charlie takes the car and leaves him in prison for two days. No, he's, he's an asshole. Sorry. I think yeah. the, the, the car is kind of a proxy for the relationship between Sanford and his two sons. And like, maybe his relationship with Charlie was broken to start with. Like, maybe Charlie was just an annoying kid and <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't trust him because he knew Charlie was cocky and he wouldn't let him drive. But his relationship with Raymond, even though Raymond didn't live with his family and Raymond was autistic, his relationship with his father, as uh, indicated by the car, was a good relationship. So, because the car definitely was an important motif. The car, in so many ways, specifically the Ford, 1949 Buick Roadmaster, but the cars as a whole was, is a very important motif in the movie. And they connect Charlie Raymond and their father Sanford in so many ways. Because cars pop up in the story all the times. The, the most important thing was how... Uh, the 1949 Buick, the the thing with Charlie that broke their relationship. And then when we meet Charlie, we learn that he's a car salesman and not just mm. any cars, like fancy sports cars. And you don't get into selling Lamborghinis just to make it to the end of the month. Cars stayed a very important thing in Charlie's life, even after kind of his relationship with his father broke up, which I think that he's not over what happened, which... Makes sense. And also, they're, they're not old classic cars like the Buick. They're new, cool cars. I think he's unknowingly trying to prove to himself that there are better cars than the car his father <laughs> favored. <laughs> Maybe that Buick was what Babbitt Sr. left for Charlie after he passed. And Charlie thinks it's a last poke by his father. He resents it. And the car is also what causes Charlie and Raymond to meet. Raymond recognizes the car and he's drawn to it. And we also learned that Sanford, you know, he let Raymond drive the car. I think that the fact that he let Raymond drive the car and Charlie finds out about it, it's, it's annoying him, you know? He, mm. he, th- he sees himself as the successful son, even though he just realized he has a brother. I'm sure it irks him. And then Charlie ends up having to drive that car from Ohio to California with Raymond and it becomes the place in which they slowly become closer. You know, by the end of the trip, he's almost all the way through his transition, and he wants what's best for Raymond. I can't tell if um, Sanford giving Charlie the car at the start of the movie was a um, insult to Charlie to say, "Look, here's all my money, and you get a stupid car. This is what <laughs> and you rose w- bushes. Yeah, he definitely got the rose bushes. And this is what you wanted the whole time: <laughs> the bloody car. Take the car. You know, that's what you deserve." Yeah. Or if it was, we didn't get along and it was all over this car, but 
here's the car anyway. Like, and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm leaning much further towards the first one. I think it was like a bit of like a final fuck you. But. <laughs> the, the letter that came along with the will, or maybe it was just the will, kind of made it seem like, like Sanford always wanted to kind of patch things over yeah. with his son, but he couldn't reach him. But the fact that he, w- he didn't leave him any money. Yeah, why not leave him <laughs> just like, Two hundred thousand, like just something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the movie needed to happen. Uh, man, yeah, <laughs> that's true. If he left him a hundred thousand, and Charlie would have been pleased about it, the, the movie basically wouldn't happen. Yeah. But that's, I have to say, I don't think that Charlie's character was believable, really. You know, I don't know. I may be wrong about this. You maybe not agree with me. But even if you're under all the stress in the world at work, even if your father just passed away and you just found out that you have a brother, I still don't believe that you kidnap a person, especially someone with special needs, just to make some money, you know? I, that, that bothered me throughout the movie, and I kind of wish that they went with a different reason as to why the two brothers went on the road. I think the story all in all was good. What was the, what was the plan? I think that Raymond was the beneficiary of the will, and... Brunner was the trustee, yeah. so he basically just tried to extort Brunner. Yeah, but I mean, Brunner would have to pay the money at some point to Ray- Raymond, but then I assume the mission would be to try to get Raymond to transfer some of that money to you, and I feel like the best way to do it is just to like trick him, not go on a road trip, but if he's trying to like convince him he likes him and maybe put hmm. the idea in his head that he deserves money, I'm not... I guess from the movie, it would seem like the second one. But like, he was obviously not saying, oh, you know, do you love me? How much am I worth? It seemed very indirect, like the way he was going to get the money. I think Brunner had complete control of the money. I don't think he had to convince Raymond of anything. Yeah, yeah, I I know that. But I'm saying like, once he transfers the money to Raymond, then Raymond's got to like, you know, keep it to himself and like not transfer it to Charlie, you would hope. But yeah, like it just seemed like I don't know what Raymond. Um, sorry, I don't know what Charlie's plan was to get the money. I think I think it was going back to Los Angeles, and he talked with a lawyer, and he was supposed to become like the legal guardian mm. of, yeah. of Raymond, and then have con- which would transfer the money to yeah. him. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and then he can mm. just decide where the money yeah. goes. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Well, I, I don't know. Do you think anyone? In real life, I, I know movies are more extreme than real life. Movies aren't exactly real life, but mm. do you see anyone in this situation doing something like that at all? I, I just thought it didn't make sense. I didn't think it was believable. He definitely wanted to use him, but I think it was, um, you know, he felt exploited. It's kind of like what Dr. Brunner says to him, like, you feel like you've, you've been wronged by your own father. And and when someone is feeling cheated, they're I th- I think they're feeling better about cheating themselves. Yeah, that's a good point. They were even starting to get to know each other and like each other, but then he sort of exploited him at the casino. Not really, because they yeah. were both having fun. But you know, like he was definitely yeah. using him yeah. as sort of like an sort asset. Of, yeah. You know? Yeah. Also, like at any point throughout the movie, whenever Charlie was talking to any other adult, he came off as such an annoying childish person even in the meeting like near the end with dr brunner and that yeah. judge or whatever that guy was after charlie's already done some growing up i just couldn't yeah. I, I i what i'm saying is i didn't like the character and i think it was a bit flawed it, it didn't ruin the movie again the the story is 
a good story. I, I really liked it in the end, but I think that character is flawed. I think the potential for this movie, sorry, was a really heartfelt, emotional, like character-driven yeah. sort of movie. And we ended up getting sort of like a semi-interesting road trip movie. I, exactly. You know? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. What do you guys think of uh, like at the end of the movie when when Charlie is saying goodbye to Raymond? Do you like how, how the movie ended? I, I, I liked it because it felt like it wasn't about the money and it was just about the brothers, you know? It, sometimes you're a dick about something and, like, you just come to the end and just be like, look, damage is done. Let's just, like, save what we can. And I feel like the whole thing about the money, that's in the past, and then it was just at least they got to know each other. Yeah. That's how I look at it. And I, I like that, you know? And I feel like even though Charlie's the younger brother, he definitely felt like he was giving off the older brother vibe, you know, and it was yeah. quite good. But do you like the ending? Yeah. I mean, it was a bit anticlimactic. I don't know. Like, obviously nothing changed, but the characters changed. Like, he's saying goodbye, but he's completely back in his own world. And Tom Cruise looking at him, thinking about uh, that he's going to visit in two weeks. So obviously, like, he created a connection. I think he also says that. And that's kind of it's it's a big deal with yeah. with him. I don't know if you don't if you're not related to Charlie to Charlie's character if you don't find him charming in a way other than Tom Cruise being good looking. Like I don't think there was anything charming in the character. Like he's <laughs> he's an asshole to almost everyone, every other character. Like that wasn't enough growth. You know he's okay. So yeah, he has a connection. But maybe it would help if we could have seen that he's more nice to Susanna. Or uh, towards toward, or towards my favorite character in the entire movie, which is obviously Lenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was a hero. He carried. Of he the carried movie. this. He carried this. <laughs> he was keeping the business <laughs> afloat. <laughs> you know, actually, at the start, like I, I knew, I didn't look at the the sort of the poster for the movie, but I knew Rain Man. The term was very associated with someone who could remember a lot of things and like has a good memory or like nose numbers and stuff. And there was a there was a little line at the start where Tom Cruise was saying to Lenny, like, all right, remember this. And then he says, you know, whatever the whatever the line was, it was a like, hmm. you know, we'll offer you five five percent discount and they're passing the emissions or like all that stuff. And he's like, you know, repeat like, have you got it? And stuff like that. And at that point, I was like, oh, Tom Cruise must be the rain man because he's, like, giving these people, like, hoping people will, like, perform to the same standard as him. I don't know, like, why. I was like, oh, that's definitely him. And then they saw someone called Raymond. I was like, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I feel a bit dumb. I didn't make the connection between the name Raymond and Rain Man. Like, they introduced Raymond, and I didn't think, oh, Raymond, Rain Man, Oh, I, I didn't get that they were the same person until they literally said it later in the movie. And I feel like I should have seen this coming. I always thought that mm. maybe, you know, the, the autistic brother does something that looks like rain or that it, this was in any way a supernatural story, like where he could make it rain or something. Maybe kind of like the Green Mile where suddenly mm. it's supernatural, but obviously nope. <laughs> it should be called... Um... Brain Man. Brain, Brain Man. man. <laughs> Let me ask you one more thing about the ending. Was there, throughout the story, at any point, did you think that the ending was going to be any different than what it was? Like, it had to be this, right? Because obviously, there was no way, throughout the movie, the, there was like a basic assumption that 
that Charlie couldn't take care of Raymond. I can't see a way in which the, the ending was in any way different. And that, that's not a bad thing. I thought the way that it was going to end was somehow Rain Man was, was going to have some role in the business. Mm. Like I thought there was gonna, he was going to come into the business. He was going to revolutionize it, almost like they've Moneyball. given him a computer, like a MacBook or something like that, <laughs> except like it's him. And he's getting f- joy out of it. And Charlie's making money. It's all around a good situation. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. he was put to no commercial use, the brain yeah, man. It, it, it feels a bit of a bummer because it, there's this whole revelation of him being a genius, but they, and other than counting cards in Vegas that don't actually put it in use. But I think that it, it actually puts the point on, on what the movie is trying to say because they could have put it in use, but he won't necessarily be happy with it. So, like, the place where he's mm. is happy and content is yeah. when he's in his routine in uh, Woodwall or whatever that place was. I, I have to mention, in case it would interest anyone who's listening to this, that maybe you guys know this, but the, the character of Raymond, R- the Rain Man, is based on a real person. Mm, um, yeah. Someone called Kim Pick. It was in Ripley's Believe It or Not once. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't. I plan to watch. Like, there's a documentary about the real Rain Man or something, and it's on YouTube. I think maybe not legally, but it's on YouTube. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> and I didn't get to watch it. I couldn't find the time for it. And I saw that on the credits. You know, there's like the the special thanks bit and he's like the fourth person on the list he's not even the first one <laughs> i thought was funny yeah. <laughs> but if you're interested in that in like seeing the real rain man and how he lives his life i think maybe he passed away yeah he passed away in 2009 at the age of okay. something i'm not good at math oh age okay. 58 when he passed he looks like a very nice person um so if you want to look into that kim pick k-i-m P-double-E-K. Look it up. I think Michael Jackson died at 58. No. And it's 2009. Maybe they're the same guy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wait, wait. wait, What day did he die? (laughs) Let me check it out. Uh, Kim Pick died on December 19, and Michael Jackson died on... June 25th, I think. Oh, June 25th. Wait, Michael Jackson died at 50. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Did he? Yeah, <laughs> at least according to Wikipedia. Maybe Wikipedia is in on this. I don't know. Maybe this goes way fake deeper news, than a... Uh, fake news. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he did die. He was born 58. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if that's correct. <laughs> if, if we're talking fake news, then, then I, I feel free saying that. But I think I read somewhere Spreading that... Spreading misinformation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I, I read somewhere that Kim Pick, the guy that Raymond was based on, like he had fused brain hemispheres like you know we each have uh two hemispheres and they have like this uh Mm. uh, this latin name about the part that actually uh connects corpus colossus corpus Corpus colossus Colossus. yeah Yeah. colossum colossus corpus Corpus colossum yeah well yeah well i I, um i think they go into it a lot in sort of oliver sax's stuff but i i know they used to cut it yeah, um, a, a while ago for um, it helps with to, epilepsy. If, if people are having seizures, yeah. then it stops the seizure yeah. going from one side of the brain to the other. And they basically just cut it, sent them on out, pat on the back, and these poor people. It does affect like your right and left hemispheres don't talk to each other, so obviously 
for people that don't know, like you, your left, um, I hope I'm getting this right, but your left hemisphere controls like your vision of, of the right side of your visual field and stuff like that. So for instance, like you, you don't actually see anything subjectively, but your brain still can like get the information, but you will just report nothing. So if someone shows like, you know, holds up four fingers to the right of you and you'll experience just blackness or something there. And then they'll say, how many fingers did I hold up? And you'll say, I didn't see anyone and no fingers. And, you know, and, but then they say, I have a guess. And then you will say four, you know, and it's ridiculous. Like you always get it right, the guess, but you'll never see it. It's, it's quite amazing. But um, cutting that is like, it, it's amazing that it doesn't destroy your brain entirely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing that these people still live lives like, cause essentially they live pretty much normal lives. It's wild when it, it becomes apparent. <laughs> but besides that, like these people are basically normal, but then, you know, obviously there's some major side effects, but yeah. So it's, it's to control seizures essentially, yeah. but brain's confusing, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said it, I didn't like Charlie's character too much. I was happy for him in the end. And like I said, I was expecting that eventually Charlie will realize that he can't take care of Raymond uh, on his own and that Raymond would go back to Walbrook where he's nice and happy. And I was happy when that happened. And I thought that the movie was touching, though it didn't age well. And I don't think that Charlie's character is believable. As with a few other movies we've watched, I wish I could have seen the reaction to this movie when it came out. Or, or at least know in what context it was released. And honestly, it wasn't my favorite movie. Something didn't click for me. But I'm definitely happy we've watched it. It's, it's a big gap to close. Yeah, I agree. It was, um, I do like sort of 80s and 90s films. Even like the average ones are usually okay, I find. Like they often come on in a Sunday afternoon or something like that on the TV. And they're usually quite good movies. However, this one was billed as like a major sort of milestone movie. You know, what do they say? The expectations are the enemy of pleasure or something like that. But I think it was a, a decent road trip movie, but it's nothing that I think changed history. And is, and in terms of rewatchability, it's, it's like, it's not full of amazing moments, but I still had a pretty good time with that though. So... Say what you will about it, but I think it was okay. Honestly, you know what would have fixed the movie? A jaunty road trip song like in the <laughs> Muppet movie, moving right along. <laughs> yeah. That would have made the movie so much better. That would have helped. <laughs> I could just imagine them kind of like swinging from side to side. It was uh, a good movie for closing the gaps. I got to say that if things were really as presented in the movie regarding you know, the awareness uh, about autism, then... It's probably an important movie for making that difference. Yeah. The two brothers getting closer, it was nice. Like today, if they would have refilmed it, it could have been done better. Uh, definitely not with Tom Cruise. <laughs> definitely with not. With someone <laughs> that you, you actually root for. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> I, I felt that it was a waste of Dustin Hoffman. Like I think, like I saw him in other films and it was so good. So I've never seen was... him in anything else. I, not that I can remember at least. So, as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Rain Man has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide. We will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay, and the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. 
Let's vote. Um, should I go first <laughs> and make it quick? <laughs> I think we can do three, two, one and say our vote together. Okay. I'll count down. Ready, guys? Yeah. Yep. Remember the, la- the lag that Peter had. Oh. <laughs> and that's because he's in Australia <laughs> and we're in Israel. Peter's a little slower. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Mustache. Ominous stroke of the mustache. <laughs> Ominous stroke of the mustache. <laughs> that's nice, <a> guys. <laughs> uh, out of interest, Peter, you, you like the movie mo- most, I'd say. I think I liked it the most. Would you have given it a tip of the hat? It's not really that close for me. It, it's, it's a nice film, but like when I look at the Quegg members, it's sort of, it's, it's a tall order. Yeah. yeah. Nice, but not great. I think, like, I kind of expected it to be an instant Quag member, mm. like I said in the beginning. And I think that people who haven't watched Rain Man, like, you know, any random person who just uh, going to the Quag page on our website, maybe would have expected Rain Man to fit right in if you didn't know the movie. But now, I, it's just, it just doesn't cut it, I think. So, for our next episode, we're going to read a book. And we haven't done too many books, especially if comic books don't count. Um, but the hit rate with books uh, that we've had was pretty good, I think. We've read, as far as I remember, three books. We've read Douglas Adams' Last Chance to See, which is in the Quag. We've read Chuck Polonick's Fight Club, which is not only in the Quag, but it's the Culture Quest Year One MVP. And we've read Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, which gave us the cucumber quote, <laughs> which is maybe the best thing ever. Um, now, the, the book we're going to read is Shakespeare, The World as Stage by Bill Bryson. It's a book about you know everything that we know about Shakespeare, uh, a very well-known name, which we apparently don't really know too much about. So it might be a very interesting biography, and obviously Shakespeare's plays are, are a staple of culture. I've never read anything by Shakespeare, and I heard that this book is kind of a good introduction to Shakespeare as a whole, so I'm interested. And also, Bill Bryson is one of my favorite authors. I read a few of his books, and even when he's talking about topics that I wouldn't perceive as interesting, he finds a way to make them kind of shine. So based on other books of his that I've read, I I have a feeling that I'll enjoy just about anything by Bill Bryson. And... This book, in terms of reviews on Goodreads, is not as highly rated as his other books, but still, I have a good feeling about his stuff. And it's just under 200 pages. The audiobook is just around five hours, I think, which is really short. And I'm excited to read another Bill Bryson book, and I'm curious about Shakespeare. Have you guys read anything by Shakespeare before? Like any of his plays, no, maybe? No, uh, I did I'm pretty um, out of the Shakespeare world, to be honest. Yeah. It's uh, I kind of figure everyone else sort of has it covered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm I'm looking forward to. It. I think Bill Bryson. Whilst I haven't had a lot of reading uh, from him, I've I, I definitely respect him as an author. He writes on a lot of great topics, so I think it should be good. Yeah, I read uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. How was it? Was it like a like a wild experience? No, Is it like no, I don't know? I'm 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 imagining Shakespeare as like you know a life changing moment reading one of his plays. No, like you need to come with really low expectation. <laughs> Again, it's something that was literally written like 400 years ago. It's it's crazy. Like uh, Midnight's Dream is from 
1605. A while um, ago. Pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Again, not as old as meditations, but, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like imagine, you know, meditation is philosophy. This is kind of like a play that's supposed to tell a story that you yeah. need to be entertained by. Yeah. The, the standards of what entertains you kind of changed in the last 400 years. Yeah. Um, a bit. Yeah. So once you remember that, it's relatively good. Like it's not it's not amazing. Like you don't want to keep reading other stuff, but it's amusing. Like you can imagine it on stage being uh, kind of like uh, maybe you know re-edited into something more modern. Like it still holds in a way. That's kind of like the surprise there. I'm kind of hoping that this would get me at least interested in reading one of his uh, plays. But who knows? I've, I I think he has all kinds of plays. Maybe maybe it's just a matter of choosing the right one for you. I don't know. Peter, do you think there's any chance that by reading this book, you'd be interested in reading a, like a Shakespeare play? Look, I'm not super hopeful, but um, I'm agnostic. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. I would have high-fived you now if you weren't on a different continent. Cool. Okay, so thank you, Peter. Thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Godspeed. Bye. The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So, you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So, that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double L dot org. So it's, it's a dot org. So it's, it's legit. And, um, basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity. So obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times. But if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to, um, charities, it's definitely best to do your research because, a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So, it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So, out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So, um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So, this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah, so definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So, anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you.